Christy is going to come and share. We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. It's not a long reading this morning. I'll start at verse 18, and I'll read to verse 23. Matthew, chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. Good morning. Thanks, Ian, for the reading. We're in that season uh, where we're beginning to think about uh, the, the meaning of Christmas, so we're taking a break from our uh, series in Nehemiah, and uh, I want us to look this morning at the the real reason for the season. Some of you are uh, non-paying members of the grammar police, so you love to uh, spot and correct all the misspellings that often happen. And sometimes we can joke about it, and particularly on social media, you always find somebody who's very eager to point out the misspellings. But the reality is, uh, they are important. Uh, I remember hearing a, a little story about the Oxford comma. And it's probably one of the most controversial pieces of punctuation in the English language. And very often there are conflicting guidelines with regards to how it should be used. But used in the wrong way, it can have very um, different uh, ways of understanding a sentence. Let me give you an example if you get the next slide. Okay, so uh, there's two different uses of the Oxford comma, and they lead to very different meanings. I'd like to thank my parents, Mother Teresa and the Pope. Or I'd like to thank my parents, comma, Mother Teresa and the Pope. So for all those of you who are ignoring it or minimizing its impact, I guess if you were to stand up and say that, it could be quite interesting. And it would lead to very different meanings to it. The reality is that detail is very important. Unfortunately, the culture that we live in, right here, right now, in the UK 2021, does not understand the real meaning of Christmas. Most of the people around us don't know the reason for the season. I'll dare you to go into any shops right now on the main street and try to find any resemblance of any detail about Jesus. I'll dare you. I'll dare you to try and find some Christmas cards that have any resemblance of the real reason for the season. I'll dare you. I'll dare you to put a television on in and around the Christmas time 
and find any resemblance of what the real reason is for this season, as in Christ's birth. Church, let me be frank this morning. We are people who are living in a former country that had Judeo-Christian values, that right now, at least with regards to Christmas, is a predominantly pagan country. Everything that you will see in terms of the adverts, in terms of the movies, in terms of the songs, resemble something to do with the winter scenery, including bunnies and snowmen and rabbits and bears and penguins and anything you could think of. People exchanging presents, families getting together, but there is no mention of Jesus at all. I'm not finger pointing. I'm just telling you the truth. Because some of us don't realize that we are in exile. We still think we're at home. We still think this is a Christian culture that we live in. And we still think that everybody knows what Christmas is all about. Breaking news, they probably don't. If we were to do a vox pop on the streets, if we were to go into Lancaster right now and ask people and probably go a little bit lower than the age of 50 and ask people what's the meaning of Christmas, you would find some very, very telling answers. But people are being very sincere. And it will reveal that we're living in a pagan culture. For most people, Christmas is about family get-togethers, eating tons of food, drinking a lot, exchanging, para- uh, exchanging presents, probably spending a lot of money that you don't have, getting into debt. And that's what Christmas is all about. So this is why this morning we're going to remind ourselves about the reason for the season. You might say, well, you know, we're, we're, we're here, we're in church. Come on. We, we know the reason for the season. But I think, I think we underestimate how culture is sweeping into our lives and into the church and dragging us further and further away from the real meaning of the season and from Christ. My hope is that somehow this morning, as we hear probably the most simplistic message that you could ever hear from one verse, it would refuel your desire to worship Jesus. And maybe remind you, like Daniel and his friends who were in exile, remind you that you're different. Remind you that you're in exile. Remind you that you're part of a remnant. Remind you that... You're not like the culture around us. Remind you of the real reason for the season. And fill your heart with thanksgiving and praise. And also, I'm praying that it would have the effect of catalyzing you for mission, making you realize. You might be looking at the people around you and thinking, yeah, they probably know. They don't. They don't. They don't. And they won't have anybody else that is able to convey it through the way that we talk and the way we act apart from us. There's no one else that knows this apart from us. And if we're not going to tell them and show them, they're not going to know. There's this beautiful 
beginning of the story of the birth of Jesus, when Mary receives an encounter with the angels and finds out that she's going to be pregnant with the one who will become the savior of the world. But I love the fact that God is not leaving Joseph off it. So another angelic encounter happens and Joseph is being told, and this is the passage that we read. And really what I want us to focus is just simply on one verse where the angel is telling Joseph and he's saying, she, talking about Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the reason for the season. Not bunnies and penguins, not food and drink, not parties and family. But this is the real reason for the season. The birth of Jesus Christ who comes to save people from their sins. And the first thing that the angel does, he, he, he tells Joseph about some bad news. And he tells us about this bad news. We have a problem. We have a problem. He said she will give birth to a son and he should give his name Jesus because he will save his people from there. Help me out. From their what? Sins. Okay. That's the message the angel brings. Nobody likes to hear that message. Nobody likes to hear about sin and particularly being pointed that there is sin around and not just sin around in other people, but there is sin around in our lives. Yet in order to understand the coming of Christ, we must establish that this is the truth. We all have a problem and it's called sin. Right now, we can probably all identify loads of problems in the world. If I was to st- say the word politics, you can identify loads of problems with politics. Whatever side of the fence you're on, whether you're left or right or in the middle or somewhere else, you're, you're going to find something to be unhappy politically. If we're going to talk about economics, once again, you probably, all, all of you would have some view that the, the taxes are too high, that the spending on the NHS and on education is too low, that social services aren't running as they're meant to, that this, 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 this. If we're talking about relational problems, at least every single one of us would have some sort of experience or some sort of a connection to relational breakdown in our own lives or in our family's lives. Marriages falling apart, people fighting with each other, misunderstandings, conflicts. Some of you are dreading some Christmas get-togethers because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's just got loads of weird stuff around it. So we get it, relational problems. Some of you are struggling with aging parents who are not well and you're looking after them and they sometimes aren't the easiest. Some of you are struggling with young children who sometimes aren't the easiest to look after. We're kind of all in the same boat with a different detail of struggle. We get it, relational problems. Mental and emotional problems. Boy, there's stuff going on right now. And we're not even seeing the full-fledged effect of what this pandemic is doing to us and the consequences. People facing diagnosis of illnesses that are terminal. People living every day with chronic illness. People living on their own when they'd like to be with other people. You get it. Mental and emotional problems. But the reality is that God, through this angel, is actually saying the most, problem, the most important problem mankind is facing is one that's spiritual, and it's sin. 
Let me explain to you, just using several verses that would be helpful for us. Romans 3.23, Paul is saying when he's presenting what the good news of Jesus is, he has to give the bad news before he gives the good news. In fact, to be really honest with you, if, if I was to tell you I'm going to give you some medicine, you know, you're probably going to say, well, why do you want to give me this medicine? You need the bad news in order to hear the good news. I need to tell you that you're unwell and you need to take this medicine in order for you to receive this medicine and take it. It's the same spiritually. A savior will be born to you to save their people from their sins. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That includes everyone. You know, with most things, we're so good to make excuses. We're so good to try to point towards somebody else. I'm not like them. It isn't me. I haven't done that. But this verse doesn't give us any room for wriggle. We're all in it. This is the truth. If you're a human being and you're born on planet Earth, your spiritual DNA is affected by sin. It's not even anything of your doing. Blame Adam and Eve for it. Blame the serpent. Blame who you want. But this is the truth. And we need to do something about it. We need to face it. We need to admit it. Every single one of us, all of us, fall short of the glory of God, of the glorious standard, as NLT puts it. There's this exercise where you can do it with a crowd and you can say to people, um, hey, you know, who do you think is the, the most virtuous person that's ever lived in the world? And who is the most horrible person that lived in the world? And you can guess it. Mother Teresa, for some reason, comes top. And uh, Hitler comes bottom. And then they, you know, if you're on the streets and you say to people, where do you think you are? Where do you think people put themselves? Hello? Help me out. Middle. Yeah. Most of the people put themselves in the middle. Like, I'm, not, I'm not as good as Mother Teresa. N- n- no idea what they know about Mother Teresa, whether she was good or not. She might have been. And they're definitely not as bad as Hitler. That's, that's one thing that's for sure. But none of us like to admit that we have all sinned. We like to think we're somewhere in the middle. There's always somebody that's better than us and somebody that's worse than us. But actually what the angel is saying, he's saying, no, he has come to save people from their sins. And Paul is saying, that includes me and you, every single one of us. We are included in this everyone. That's part of the reason for the season. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So I'm not comparing myself to any one of you who are a lot better than I am. And I'm not comparing myself to Mother Teresa, who's probably better than I am. I'm not comparing myself to Hitler. I'm comparing myself to the glory of God. And when it comes to the glory of God, Paul is saying every single one of us uh -uh, doesn't get through. So that's what it means that we are sinners. Isaiah 59 too. it's your sins that have cut you from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. And the consequence is there's a breakdown in the relationship. And it's so vivid the way Isaiah points it. It's kind of God turns away and he will not listen anymore. It's, it's a broken relationship. It, it, it's when husbands and wives have, have a fight and, and they do this, you know, silent treatment. But they're not talking to each other. And it's horrible. It's terrible to have that. But this is on a spiritual scale with God. Because of the sin in our life, because we're born, there's a breakdown in our relationship with God. And this is why Jesus came to deal with this relational breakdown between us and God. 
Romans 8, 2, the next verse in the next slide, Paul is saying, Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. So the fact that Paul is saying there's no condemnation, it suggests to me that there is a condemnation if you are without Jesus Christ. And that's the consequence. The consequence of sin coming into our lives is that ultimately we die spiritually unless something happens to us. It's almost as if you, to use a modern day parlor, you're infected with a deadly virus that unless you get some treatment for it, it's inevitable. You will die spiritually. And that includes a condemnation. There is a sense of condemnation that comes. It's a broken relationship with God, and it's an eternity without God. It's that condemnation that is there. Therefore, the angel comes and says this, Jesus will come to save people from their sins. It's because we are sinful. And that's the bad news. But there's also good news in what the angel says. Because he talks about Jesus coming to save his people. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save. So if the problem is sin, the plan of God is salvation through Jesus. You might say, why do we need Jesus? Why can't we just pull ourselves by our bootstraps? Why can't we just try harder And get ourselves off the mess we got in because of sin and reconcile ourselves to God. If even we try harder, maybe maybe we could fast, maybe we could pray, maybe we could read the Bible 52 times a year. Maybe we could just give a lot of money to the poor people. Maybe we could just become missionaries. None of those can solve the problem of sin and reconcile us ourselves to God. It had to be Jesus. That's why he's coming. We can't save ourselves. Romans 5, 6 on the next slide. When we were utterly helpless, how were we? What did Paul say? Utterly helpless. How helpless is that? It's utterly helpless. It's just impossible to sort the problem yourself. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. You remember in 2011, 33 Chilean miners were trapped 2,000 feet underground for six nights. Can, can, can you remember? It's one of those vivid things that, that went on for days and days and days. And it was fascinating. And they were managing to live in this small secluded compartment down in the mine, hoping for a rescue. And they drilled. Do you remember that? They drilled to try to get some food to them. And in the end, they fitted a capsule with which they pulled them all out. Now, they could not in a million years try to get themselves out of there. This is me and you. This is us. We can't get ourselves out of sin unless somebody from outside, a savior, steps in and gets us out. It's the imagery of the people at the top drilling and dropping the capsule and taking them out one by one. Jesus, the angel, is saying, is coming to save his people from their sins. And that was God's plan. God intervened in the breakdown in the relationship. He made the first step. He said, we'll sort it out. And Jesus was the means by which this was happening. God himself was the one that did it. It says Christ came 
just at the right time. Just at the right time, and he died for our sin, for us sinners. And this is how it happened. All through Jesus' incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas, when Jesus, God in human form, was incarnate, had flesh, became one of us, came into our world. And then on Good Friday, we, we celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus, the payment for the sins, to try to bring the relationship back to where it was. And then Jesus rises from the dead. So through the resurrection, he defeats death and sin and Satan and gives us this new life that we are partakers of. So that's how he is our savior. Through the incarnation, through the crucifixion, through the resurrection, he is the one that accomplishes the rescue mission and brings the capsule and gets us down from where we could never get ourselves up. Listen to these words that John write at the very beginning in the prologue, John chapter 1, where he talks about, this This is a, a, a passage, in, a, a little bit about Christmas, but actually it's, it's a beautiful, almost a philosophical pa- a passage that talks about God's coming into our world to the Lord Jesus. And, and John says, he came to that which was his own, that's our world, because he created us, but his own did not receive him. So many people didn't get it. They didn't understand who Jesus was, like our culture today. They didn't get him, and they rejected him, so many of them. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. This is Jesus' mission. This is the reason for the season. Because of the sin in our life, there had to be a savior. In Jesus, God himself, the son of God, takes the initiative, becomes one of us, steps right into our world. And through his incarnation, through his crucifixion, through his resurrection, accomplishes that. And turns us from sinners into those who become children of God. So not only the relationship is reconciled, but I mean it's upgraded beyond belief. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about this breakdown in the relationship, he calls us enemies of God before Jesus came in the rescue mission. And now he calls us adopted in his family and we can call the god of the universe abba daddy father but then he says you're also heirs so it's the most incredible upgrade in this relation from enemies to heirs of god all because jesus being the reason for the season steps into our world let me state it really strongly Even as the name suggests, the real reason for Christmas is Christ. Christ is right at the very center of it. And there I say, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're still in that state of being in sin. There's no intermediate. There's no middle of the list. There isn't Mother Theresa and Hitler. You know, we all fall short of the glory of God. And there's only one way to get Saved and is accepting Jesus as the one that the angel spoke to Joseph to be the sacrifice for everyone's sins. Mine, yours. There are many people in this room who already took that step to say, first of all, I take it. I admit I am a sinner. And you know, if you think about it, it's not that difficult and it's not that awkward and it's not that strange. First, Let me tell you, because everybody's in the same boat, so you're not worse than anybody else. And actually, the reality is, even if your life story, compared to somebody else's life story, has more misdemeanors, 
and you've probably more done more stupid things. You might have had more affairs. You might have stolen more. You might have lied more. You might have hated more. You might have even been into prison. Before God, you're still a sinner just as much as somebody who's been a banker and been a, a good father and a good husband. They still fall short of the glory of God without Jesus. And so do you. But actually, the good news is you're on equal footing. Everyone's in the same boat. The other good news is, and we get this, you know, I get it with my car mechanic. So if I'm going to my car mechanic and he's saying, Christy, your your brakes are failing. If you don't change them, you're likely to die. Now, I'm not going to say to him, Dave, you're deeply offensive. How dare you say that? That's a terrible thing to say. How dare you say that? Why are you scaring me? Why are you scaremongering me? Why are you telling me that my brakes are going to lead to my death? I could go and see an oncologist who would say to me, if you don't have this particular type of treatment, you are likely to die. How dare you, Mr. Oncologist, to be so rude? Why are you scaring me? Why are you telling me such bad news? Why don't you tell me good news? Why don't you tell me that I don't need a treatment and I'm going to be fine? Dave, why don't you tell me I don't need to spend some money and replace the brakes? Because that's what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Now, we don't live by that. I want Dave to tell me the truth. I want the oncologist to tell me the truth. It's the same spiritually. We want the truth. We don't want lies. And the truth is, every single one of us is a sinner. And we need salvation. And in Jesus, we have the answer. He is the one that can bring that. So my encouragement to you, if you're here, and you've never, ever taken that step. And you might say, well, I don't know if I've taken or I haven't taken the step. I want to ask you right clearly, do you think you're in a good relationship with God? Because that's the benchmark. Do you know him? Do you know he's forgiven your sins? Can you put your head on the pillow at night and have no fear, no shame, no regret? And even if judgment was to come tomorrow, you know that you are free, not because you're a good person, but because you're forgiven by Jesus and you put your trust in him. Because that's the test. And my prayer is that you, if you've never ever done this, I would hate for you to go away from here this morning and carry on, <laughs> you know, thinking that you are a Christian, thinking that you, 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 you can celebrate Christmas and get the most out of it, but actually not realizing that the reason for the season is that the Savior came to save us from our sins. And I would love for you to take that step today so that actually you could have the most meaningful Christmas you've ever had in your life, where actually Jesus is right at the very center of your life, and you're celebrating because you know that you once used to be a sinner, but because of Christ, now you are saved, and your whole life is different. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. But those of you who've already done this and have taken this step. Do you still believe that Jesus is the one who saved us from our sins? Are you still amazed that Jesus came to you and me and saved us from our sins? Are you living in your everyday life with a sense of celebration of that reality? Or has it become a bit boring 
and you kind of take it as a theological tick box. Yes, Jesus saved me from my sins. Rather lovely. Wonderful. Or have you still got that deep-seated joy and a sense of amazement? I can't give it justice, but imagine that you, you, you would have been given the most amazing privilege you could have ever faced that you never deserved. And you're still pinching yourself thinking, I can't believe this is happening. Because this is me and you. This is us because of Jesus. Let me tell you into a secret. For me, it's Christmas every day. Because I celebrate that the Savior came to save a sinner like me. Every day. And I can do Christmas every day. Every hour of the day. Do you still have that passion? I'll let you into another secret. Most people who don't know Jesus don't come to know Jesus through a preacher or a pastor like me and Ian or an evangelist like Billy Graham and J. John and Phil Knox. Most people will come to know Jesus being introduced by one of us, ordinary Christ followers. And this is why this is so important. If me and you have that sense of this is real and this is amazing and this is life-changing, there's going to be something incredibly infectious about our life that's going to touch other people's lives. Phil was quite infectious, wasn't he, last week, in a good way. Not with germ. I probably can't use our word anymore. <laughs> Another thing COVID's ruined. But you know, it's not because Phil's got a certain personality. It's because Jesus got hold of his life. And he's got it. And he lives it every day. And we can be the same. And my encouragement is that we will learn to celebrate this gift in our everyday life. Everyday life. And just let it be seen by people. You know, just be who we are in Christ. Blown away every day when we wake up in the morning thinking, Jesus came as a savior to save a sinner like me. And this is great news. It's amazing news. It's unbelievable news. I'm going to choose to live like it really is and like I believe it and like it really matters. And then last but not least, just a simple thing, you know, share this gift with those around you. If, if we truly believe, and this is why I said to you this is a game changer, because we're still living, and I'm talking now particularly of the older generation. You guys are still trapped in your memories of the past. You still think this is a Christian country. It's not. It's not. It's gone. That's just your memory. And I'm sad about it. And I'm heartbroken. And we need to wake up and smell the coffee and realize that people around us don't know anything about it. And we are there placed in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our sphere of friendship to be the people that bring the message. So it's a simple thing. I was a man of faith. I ordered a thousand of these. Okay. Now, I, I don't want to put them in the recycling box in a week's time. Just give them out. Pick up one of these. Pray. Think. And just give them to people around. God is calling us to be scatterers of the seed. Jesus even said, some seed will come to fruition. 
Some seed were, you know, actually out of four types, I think there's only one type that, that brings result. Three don't. Don't freak out about it. That's all we're called to do is to be sharing the news. And it's as simple as that. You might be saying, I'm no good with words. I'm not good. You know, it's, it's even as simple as this. Just pick up one of these and invite somebody to come along. It's such a great opportunity. And use everything that God has given you to be able to share with everyone that this is the reason for the season. I'm so excited because I know that the Spirit of God is so much at work in our lives. And He is giving us opportunities. And the most amazing thing that we can do with our life is to be a worshiper of Jesus and to be a witness for Jesus and enable people to realize that we're people living in an exile, but people with a great story, with a great savior and a great destination. And we want to take as many people as possible with us on this journey. Me and you are part of God's plan A and there is no plan B. And I'm so glad that just as he came into this world, he is now using us to be incarnate, to be in flesh, those who carry the message of salvation to those around us. Let's pray together. And then we'll respond in worship, surrendering our lives afresh. I need to do it. And I I hope that you do as well. Just asking the Holy Spirit to just fuel that praise. Maybe help us to realize afresh. Maybe take away the sense of, this is old news I've heard many times before. And maybe to give us that sense of, this is the most amazing thing ever. And if I don't hear anything else for the rest of my life, this is enough. Christ is truly enough. Let me pray for us, and then Ellie and the team are going to lead us. Jesus, I thank you so much for stepping into our world. And thank you that you came with love, not with judgment. Thank you that you came with a solution. You didn't come to blame. You didn't come to finger point. You didn't come to tell us to work harder and pull us by our bootstraps. You came and said, I am Emmanuel, God with you. Thank you for the condescension, for stepping down from heaven to be amongst us. We will never understand what that means. But the little we do, we know it was a huge sacrifice. And if we ever feel unloved, if you ever feel unworthy, when we behold that a king of glory came into this world to save sinners, that's when we know that it's true, that we are loved. And if you've never ever realized this, and if you've never ever taken that step to say, Jesus, I want for the first time in my life to make this Christmas really about you. 
I want to surrender my life. I want to give you my sin in exchange for your salvation. I want to pray for you now. And if you're there in your seat, just quietly in your own mind and heart, pray these words. Jesus, I thank you for hearing this good news. I've always known that something wasn't right between me and you. I want to say sorry for my sin. I want to escape it and turn away from it. I want a new life. I want salvation from you and forgiveness of sins. But I also want you to come and from now on be the king of my life. May all my life, my thoughts, my words, my deeds, be what you do in me and through me. So I'm receiving your forgiveness and I'm choosing to step into this new journey of following you. And I'm looking forward to that Christmas for the first time where you're right at the very heart of it. Amen. Let's stand together.